0: Introducing the new Starbucks Pistachio Cream Cold Brew. Silky Pistachio Cream Cold Foam tops our bold, smooth, cold brew for a delicious twist on a favorite winter flavor.
1: Make today a good day. Order ahead
0: on the Starbucks app.
2: One, two, three, four.
3: Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content. Or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Welcome to Insights, everyone, where our guest this hour is husband and wife Americana rock duo, The Hawthorns, an immediately lovable group whose smart twang, pop hooks, and feel-good vibes are alive like never before on their brand new album, Tarot Cards and Shooting Stars, which is available this week via Mule Kick Records. The Hawthorns are KP and Johnny Hawthorne, both very well-respected artists and producers in their own right. KP having toured the country with Jamie Wyatt and others as a member of Calico and co-founder of Mule Kick Records, and Johnny as a jack-of-all-trades, most notably as a lead guitarist with bands like Toad the Wet Sprocket and Everclear. Today they chat with Amy Wright all about their careers and new life together in Nashville, and of course, their new album. So relax and listen in, as we welcome to Insights, the Hawthorns.
4: So you guys are two of the most prolific artists I have ever met. You have so many projects going at any given time, mm-hmm. and I just had to ask uh, is does that keep you sane in this world just to have a lot of eggs in the basket, things going? Does it keep you sane
2: Yeah, I mean um yeah i I don't know if it it, it, it it's planned out like that, but I just think that like um you'll be working on a project and then something else will come up and then you have to plan around that and then things just accumulate and next thing you know your plate's full with all these different projects.
0: I kind of have to, I have to do it. It's like my, it's my blood.
4: Well, and Tarot Cards and Shooting Stars is your latest, It's it's your new album and we're gonna talk about that. But before we actually get to the album, I want to talk to you each a little bit individually and uh, give people a little bit of a background because um, you both had amazing solo careers and then you got together and you're married. I'll, you know, that's, uh, that's no surprise to anyone, but, but uh, you know, you're doing great things together now. And so I just wanted to kind of go back and I thought I would start with you, KP. Oh, sure. And, uh, and Johnny, you're next. You know, ladies first in this one. Stand <laughs> <Damn>, by. <laughs> And so, so where did you grow up, KP? I grew up in California. Um, my, we're originally
0: from the central coast. My whole family, we have generations of Californians all up and down um, from Northern California all the way down. Um, both of my grandparents had lots of, lots of brothers and sisters and they're both Californians. So it's like generations of, of Californians. And uh, I, but I did spend a lot of time in Southern California and, um, went to school there and everything and started playing music in Southern California.
4: Did you learn music in school or who kind of inspired you to start learning music? And was it vocals first, guitar first? I mean, how'd that happen for you?
0: Well, We were just talking about that the other day because um, my mom just would always have like, she'd have a guitar out or she, my mom played saxophone. She plays piano, she plays guitar. She basically plays anything that you put in front of her. And, um, so there were just always instruments around. And so it kind of becomes part of your, just who you are when, when we're always, we were always encouraged to pick up things and try them. And, uh, the other thing she'd always do is, um, have my sister and I would, um, would be, you know, driving in the car with her and she'd sing that. We had this one song that she'd always, um, sing the melody to, and then she'd tell us to, how to sing the harmonies. And this is like from the time we are like four. So um, it just kind of was part of our lives forever. And and then I eventually did all the choirs and choir in college and things like that and um, got my singing chops, but I just always loved singing. So guitar is secondary.
4: I know, I think we all kind of, if you're a musician, you kind of have something that is your comfort zone, Mm -hmm. whether that's vocals, it's guitar or, you know, violin or saxophone or whatever it is. Um, I was talking to an uh, artist just the other day who is a solo artist and sings um, solo, but said that her her comfort zone is really singing the harmony because she grew up singing the harmony part. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we all kind of have that comfort zone. And um, were you in a band in high school? I mean, would, did you start performing or were you just really more in both choruses and stuff?
0: Yeah, I didn't do, I didn't see myself as that kind of performer until a little bit later, like when I was probably in my mid twenties, I didn't really try. I, it kind of came to me. Um, I just always wrote songs and, and played and people who I knew said, Oh, you need to take this to, you know, so-and-so and see if they'll, you know, want to work with you, whatever, you know how that happens. You sort of just do your thing and then network a little bit and and it just kind of happens. And then I remember at one point started working with um, a person from Arthur Spivak's office who just heard one of my songs that I entered in some weird contest. And that was like the Tori Amos um, company. And um, it, that's how, how it all happened. It all happened for me very strangely. Um, the first time I got placed on television with my songs, which I did for years and still do. I mean, just hundreds of, and hundreds of TV placements came from just playing a live show and a guy from Sony Music Television being there at the show and calling me the next day and saying, I'd like to put your song on a show. I mean, so that's kind of been, I stumble into things, I guess.
4: And that was Lucky Girl, right? And were you already in LA? And you were Lucky Girl, I guess, because you were getting all these songs on the radio or actually in television. So uh, you were already in LA and when did you move to LA?
0: Um well I was living outside of Los Angeles at the time I was living in the Inland Empire so I I'd, I'd have to come in to play shows and work and work with people and everything but I didn't actually move to live in LA until around 2010 I get to 11 is when I actually moved to Burbank and um started Calico and that kind of thing a little a couple of years after but but i was always kind of hovering around los angeles be- between like 2005 and
4: and on what was the music scene like in la cuz i can hear i hear it can be very competitive and uh, i was wondering is it collaborative as well
0: that's a, such a good question i feel like there were pockets of both um, and it's changed so much too la's changed tremendously because it used to be a lot more um, artist friendly of a city, um, but it's become so expensive and the traffic's so bad. It's just, it's hard. It's harder, I think, for artists to live there and be an artist there. Um, but not to say that there aren't fantastic artists there, but I found a community of people who, you know, were collaborative and helpful and positive, but I did see that, you know, in certain certain areas, you know, I always kind of had this feeling too. Like if you settle in with a, with a click, not, I'm not talking about a community, but I'm talking about a click that, you know, keeps to themselves and, you know, keeps it tight and doesn't allow other people in, then you're going to get in there fine. You're in the click, but you're never really going to be any more than that click. And that's, I feel like how the clicks were, especially um, like in 2008, 2009, um, it, the little clicky sections of, of, of <laughs> I don't know, the, the songwriter scene. But, you know, overall, the artistry was there and it still is there. But, um, you know, there's so many there were so many places to play. There was a Highland ground scene. Remember that? Yeah, there were all kinds of these acoustic um, singer songwriter um, nights that were were there. And I met a lot of beautiful, supportive people who became my my long time friends. So, yeah, I guess a little bit of both.
4: So what was it like to get your songs, um, as on the soundtrack of a television show? Was that instant sort of recognition for you? And what did that do to you as an artist? Did you feel more confident in your songwriting capabilities when you were recognized (laughs) that way?
0: That's so funny. Yeah, because I guess, it does sort of validate all the hard work you've been doing and and validate that, wow, this is something that's worthwhile. And I can actually have a, make a living at this. And um, it did make me feel, a, gave me a little sense of power. Like oh, I can continue this and I can, you know, look what I could do. So um, I was going to say um, in regard to the, uh, what it feels like, I, I remember just Being kind of blown away, you know, when it, when it first, when I first heard it on the actual television, you know, just like, wow, that's, that's me. And I did that. So yeah, it was, it was a pretty good thing. And, and I think too, you you know, somebody giving importance to your work does make you want to go out and do it more. It's like, you know, you kind of have step ladders of, of validation. And that was a good one for me.
4: No, it's very true. I have a friend who's a chef. And, and I said, how did you become a chef? And he said, well, I was 12 years old, and I, had a, I was a latchkey kid, and I was a big kid. I was a football player. And so I, I actually started making burgers when I came home from school at 12, because I needed something to eat. And then all my friends started coming over cause I was making burgers and they said, you're the best cook ever. And he said, and all of a sudden I was like, I can do this. I can be a chef. You know, um, there's something that's really important about that validation that comes from other people, even though it, we would like to think it doesn't, but it does, it is helpful.
0: It is like I have a friend, um, his name is Bruce Whitkin, and he's like the first real producer that I worked with. Um, just a really neat guy in LA. And, um, the first time I ever went into that studio, because I always kind of felt like it was a hobby. This is when I first started. I felt very hobbyish about what I was doing because that's all it really was at the time. But when I got in there to that studio and he took my song so seriously and took things apart and started really showing me what could be done and bringing other people in and watching the other people in the room take things seriously about the music, it that also gave me a, another perspective of, wow, this Something I'm made is being like, we're, that's all we're working on all day. So it has a level of importance that it didn't have before. So it's pretty cool.
4: So when did you uh, start Calico with uh, Jamie Wyatt and Manda? Is it Mosher or Mosher? I wasn't sure. Mosher. Mosher, okay. Um,
0: well, we started that. Um, that's, it's, I, I got um, they were. Do you remember that movie, um, the Lone Ranger movie that had Johnny Depp in it? Oh yeah. My friend was my friend, Bruce, actually was working on um, getting music in um, for this for the for the movie. And he said, why don't you write some songs and see if we can submit uh, for this film? And um, I said, "Okay, well, you know, I'd like to have like female harmonies, you know, and I'd been kind of following Manda online. Um, I'd seen her play live a few times. Jamie and I had already worked together on some things and she was kind of like a little sister to me. And, um, I invited them to a songwriting session and that was in 20, early 2013, I think 2013 or late, late 2012, right around there. And, um, we wrote one song together and that was the Lone Ranger song. We called it Lone Ranger and we had so much fun and it gave us all, like, it just was so instant. And I remember in that session, we're like, we should start a band (laughs) and we did, so, and that went on for quite a while.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think was really special about, it was all girls, right? So what, mm-hmm. what was special about Calico?
0: For me, it was the first time I'd ever worked with just women
4: mm-hmm.
0: um, on any real project on the art side and the business side. And seeing their acumen in in regard to both aspects was um, was really... Powerful to see, wow, you know we three or we're just you know, we're singing together. we're writing these songs together. We're plotting out a career. And you know, we're starting from zero. It's like alchemy. You know, we just come together and create this thing. And just the daily discovery of what could be done and how much, not that like a band like this, um you know, a four piece band, a rock band, whatever, isn't a really amazing thing, but there's something about three female harmony group that when you're in the zone and you're all kind of on the same page, how much power there is in it. And there was a lot of draw to the band because they're both just you know very talented women. <laughs> it, was, it was a ride. It was definitely, it had some amazing peaks for us
4: as just even personally, it was just a really, really beautiful thing to, to do. Well, and spoiler alert, because we're going to get to the fact that you guys met and at some point you wanted to work together as opposed to solo. But before I get to that, I've got to talk to you, Johnny, <laughs> because still you're that. still here. You're still here. Um, and I love I love the lid, I have to say. It's one of my favorites. You've got the classic. Yes. That is yes. the classic lid. Um, so your, you know, your guitar playing has been compared to all sorts of really famous people, and not to make you uncomfortable, but even Jimi Hendrix and other people. And so I know you're an incredible guitar player and songwriter and all those things. And uh, what was, where did you grow up? Were you in LA as well, or were you someplace else?
2: I grew up outside of Philadelphia.
4: Oh wow, you really were in someplace else. You weren't even on the West Coast.
2: <laughs> and I was the youngest out of six kids, and. None of my um, older brothers and sisters uh, played an instrument, but um, at a young age, I got interested in guitar. There was a lot of music in the house and got interested in guitar, and it just seemed at that point, a lot of things were going on in Los Angeles with the music industry and always have been, you know, and so you'd, you'd read these books and read the back of album covers, you know, when we used to have them. And you'd see all these references to like the sunset strip and (laughs) Gazzari's and the whiskey, a go-go and stuff. (laughs) So I, um, I left Philly in when I was 16 and basically, uh, made my way out to Los Angeles, um, when I was 18. And, um, and I'd been there ever since, um, you know, basically, um, spent several years just uh, meeting people and, um, absorbing the music scene i guess you could call it it's very intimidating when you come out there it's so there's a lot of stuff going on and um a lot of distractions but eventually i honed in on um what i needed to do as a player which was uh practice get my craft down and then my philosophy was to to join as many bands as possible original bands so i could get experience playing in front of um stage, like on, you know, in in, on the club circuit and everything. And, um, and that's what I did. And so for many years did that, and then people would see you playing live, and then you would get more work from that. And that's basically, you know, you spent you spend your years um, doing that, and then eventually move up to being hired as a side touring musician, and did that for many years. And then eventually wanted to do my own thing which was to to write uh, songs not like just be an instrumental type of guitarist but like a songwriter type and i started doing that and um and then also got involved with writing music for tv and um soundtracks and things of that nature and then eventually we did meet yes so i don't i don't want to give that away just yet but (laughs)
4: Oh, no. Oh, no. We have to have we have to have the tension. You know, we can't give that away just yet. But um, so was there a guitar player that you emulated? Was there someone style that you really thought if I could be that guy, that guitar player, that's who I would be?
2: Well, I you know, I love all the guitar players. I mean, you know, the constant question is like, who's your favorite and who influenced you the most? And there's just Every every guitar player has a little piece of something that I really like. However, I there's there's like if I could be a guitar player in, in somebody's band, I think like uh, Peter Gabriel or like Sting, something like that, where you have a lot of different styles going on. Because I feel like uh, as a player, I like to explore different things and 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 um, and so to you know to say. You know, like, well, I'm only interested in, in playing Jimi Hendrix, which is fine. I mean, Jimi Hendrix did a lot of different styles, of course, too. But who um, are
0: your favorite ones that you? Ah, uh, there's too most... many
2: to. <laughs> to list. I mean,
0: if I were going to um, answer that <clears throat> question for you, I'd say Eddie Van Halen and Jeff Beck.
2: Yeah, yeah, but then you know you have Jimmy Page, and and you you know, and you have songwriters too that influence you too, mm-hmm. and. Um, and, and, and then, you know, different parts of your life, you'll get into different styles of music, too. And like what I listened to, you know, 10, 15 years ago is different from what I listen to now. Mm-hmm. And, and you mature or for lack of a better word, you just your your tastes change. So there's certain things you go back and um, you don't. Um, I mean, like you go you go back and you listen to and you're like, Oh, yeah, I used to listen to that stuff, but now I'm listening to this stuff over here, so it all comes together though, and helps you know put together your style
4: yeah Well, and you played with some pretty big bands, you played with uh, uh, Toe the Wet Sprocket. you played with everclear yeah and what was that experience like for you as a as a young person playing with bands that are touring in pretty big venues, and was that? Was that exciting? Was it a little bit scary when you first joined these bands?
2: It was was very exciting and um, they were all great. And it was definitely a learning experience. And um, what I realized with, with both of those acts is that they had already done the hard work of the years of touring. For both of those acts, you know, I got involved with them after, you know, I wasn't in the original incarnation of the band. I was like, 10 years after the fact um but i really appreciated the um the fact that they crafted really good songs that held up and they developed an audience that would obviously show up to all their gigs and stuff around the country and um also the discipline to when you write a song that you play the song you respect the audience and you play the song as it was written so that they can enjoy seeing you play it live. Whereas sometimes when you're playing in whatever, um, bar bands and cover bands and things, at least my experience is a lot of improv improvisation going on. And, um, so I came from that kind of background. And then when I got involved with these bands, it's like, no, you gotta play the way it was on the record. So that was something that I had really never experienced before. So, um, that that taught me a lot about that. Yeah, good, good um, experience all the way around.
4: So you put out three solo albums uh, yes. during this time period, and you write music. Uh, were you writing just for yourself, or did you actually write music for, you know, other people?
2: Well, what happened was you'd write music, and um, it was kind of the infancy, or not the infancy, but the beginning of what was called. Um, Libraries. Now, there was always libraries where uh, film and television would procure music, but it had been kind of like a small kind of thing as far as I, I understand it. So when I started, uh, when I did the first record, I got a lot of people because I always do a couple of instrumentals on there and I would have people say, hey, this would sound really good on TV. And so I was like, yeah, well, how do you get it on TV? I don't <laughs> know. Uh, I don't know. So how do I, you? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, uh, it's I I did it the old fashioned way. I waited till the credits rolled, and then I wrote down the whoever did the music, <laughs> you know, and then I sent them an email, <laughs> um, and then they responded, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah send us your music." And mm-hmm. so it was as simple as that. But it, it, but it, you know, then from there they're like, "Okay, well, that's just you know two songs, you know, that you can send to them." But they for a library you need tons of songs, so. <clears throat> I got involved in in the production and the writing of that stuff mm-hmm. and uh, that started many many years ago probably like 15 now and you just you just keep adding to it and working with those guys and uh, it's an it's a great way to make a living too.
4: Okay, so who wants to tell me how you met. Oh, it's can- that story.
0: Do you want the true story or the fake
4: story? Cuz I have the true well, no, story. No, just t- tell them about
0: <laughs> Okay. So Johnny and I <laughs> Johnny and I um well, we're both musicians in LA obviously and um we had crossed paths several times through the years starting from probably in like 2008 just playing you know here and there. He played with a girl named Nicole Gordon who would play on some um shows that I played on in my solo life. And um, so we probably saw each other there. The rumor is that actually he um, asked somebody about me
4: at a gig. Johnny, uh, Johnny, you were already checking her out, just to be clear, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So (laughs) um,
0: I had gone to to live in um, Oregon just for like a year and I came back. And the first thing I did was go to this place called The Cinema Bar, which is in Culver City, which that's where pretty much he lived in Venice. And um, I had just gone in there. I went to go just visit a friend and there was nobody else in the bar. And this guy comes walking in and just comes and pulls up a chair next to me. And we ended up having this great conversation for like an hour or two or something and got to know a lot about him. And I was like, that was such a nice person, just a cool, nice guy. That was like 2012. And then time went by and we kept crossing paths and stuff. And he thought I had a boyfriend, but I didn't. Anyway. um, Eventually we played at the hotel cafe together. We were playing with them. We were on the same
2: bill. We were on the the same bill. bill. Yeah.
0: And, and he was shy and um, I tried to flirt with him and he was like, I'm shy. So then um, one day I, we just gotten off the road with Calico. We'd been on the road for a month, and I w- and I, some friends were going to be playing at the Cinema Bar, um, and I said, "Okay, I'm going to go down there tonight." And I did. And who comes stumbling in? But this guy.
2: No, I didn't stumble in. Uh, <laughs> he <did. laughs>
0: we walked in very straight, and um, and we locked eyes, and that was it. That was that was really that was the beginning of it. And that was 2014, and we've been together ever since. In, in pure bliss, right, honey?
2: Well, yeah. And then just to, as a, a footnote to that, um, she was still with Calico and I was still doing my thing. So we started the relationship and we didn't really um,
0: don't tell this story yet.
2: We didn't want to cross pollinate, meaning like, you know, we w- we wanted to we talked about doing a music project together, but we weren't like, you know, mm-hmm. well, let's wait till the time is right.
4: Yeah. Right, so you weren't the Hawthorns, which you are now. No. At that point, you were doing your solo thing. And yeah. I, I was wondering that if you kind of continued after you met um, each yeah. on your own career path. Um, obviously, it's very helpful when you live together and you play music and there's a lot of cross-pollination that goes on just uh, organically, I would think, when, you, um, when you're when you together. But when, um, how long was it before you actually thought, Hey, we should, we should do an album together.
2: Well, we thought of that right off the bat, but, Mm -hmm. but uh, KP had put a lot of work into Calico and it was, you know, it was, it was going really good at Mm -hmm. the time. So I said, you know, let's not even write stuff because it, it undermines sometimes uh, the band you're working in. If they find out you're doing stuff on the side, so to speak, even if you're just writing songs you know harmlessly so um so we just decided to wait until um till the coast was clear and eventually you know calico ran its course and um once that was uh clear then we're like okay now we can write
0: yeah i mean we kind of saw it coming it you know got got tough with families and um and one of the members had a baby. And it just, it got, it got complicated to go on tour. So it, I could see that it was like, okay, this isn't going to last much longer. And um, I was like, we got to write some stuff. Let's do it. Let's do it. And the second it was over, I said to him, can we just please now just go for it? Because, and it's fun. It's, it's easier because we're in the same house and um, and you know, we can just, we can talk about this kind of stuff when it, we don't have to have a meeting we don't have to schedule anything we're just like hey what do you think about this what do you think about that there's there's a lot of things that we can just topics we can touch and like i'll hear him he plays guitar all the time and i hear him you know jamming something and i'll go i love that can we can we have that you know can we use that one can we write something and so you know it keeps it all in house
4: yeah <laughs> So how does that work? Is it easier because you're married or harder sometimes? Or, you know, how do do you actually collaborate um, and do so in a way that doesn't get in the way of your relationship?
2: Well, um, it it works just like, I suppose, um, anything else would work. But to what she was saying before, um, we're always around each other. So the, the difference, I would say, is normally when you're in a band situation, you, you have to rehearse. So everybody has to meet up, rehearse, or you have to get together for songwriting sessions where we can do that on the fly. It's like, hey, let's jam on this tune right before we make dinner or something. Mm-hmm. So I think it's from a convenience standpoint, it's, it's pretty good because we're together all the time. And depending if, uh, or, you know, if we're into, into the mood or whatever you want to call it of writing, we can do it right away hmm. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, I think it kind of works both ways in a way, because that's really true. But then also sometimes because we are together all the time, we push it aside sometimes, don't you think? Oh, well, we'll that's just, true,
2: too. Yeah. because it's, it's always there. So you get kind but of. But
0: it's always it's become so ubiquitous, like the, the entire music and love and life is all that sounds so cheesy, but it's so true. It's like everything is all of it. It's all, it's all happening all the time. And there's no real separation anymore. Especially since we are putting out a new record and the setup to this record has been so intense and so it's been really, you know, we've had to work at it. Um, putting all the pieces of the puzzle together, and so it's like every day there's things to do, and we just accept that that's what's going on, and we schedule our life in between. And yeah. I
2: don't know,
4: it's a kind of all one big, one big thing now.
2: But it, it seems to work.
4: So in 2019, you put out your first album. Was that Morning Sun? Is that what mm-hmm. it was called? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, were you excited to? get out on the road and tour, and we know what happened right after that, right? <laughs> so what was it like to put out an album in 2019? Were you able to tour, or did you kind of have to uh, put a hold on that because of the pandemic? Well, the album came out in July. August, yeah. We got, in, we got on the road in July, in August,
0: July, yeah. and it came
4: out in August,
0: and we stayed on the road all year.
2: Yeah, well, all well, half a year.
0: Yeah, half a year. And then we we came back to Nashville. We hadn't really been living here yet, but we had this place here. And then he went home to L.A. and we thought, okay, we're going to take a minute. Uh, and he's going to do some things he has to do in L.A. I'm going to do some things here. And I think it was February. We just came off the road. We did the East Coast in the winter. And um, then suddenly everything was getting shut down. So it was a real bummer because I felt like we were just getting our engines turned on. We had some really cool things planned for um, for 2020. And, you know, we were going to meet back in Austin, Texas. We had a showcase at South by Southwest that never happened. So, you know, you kind of just go, now what do you do? (laughs) You can't. We're a brand new band. Nobody really knew who we were. So all that momentum that we had been creating just got stopped. And, you know, so we're just grateful to be here. And now with another chance to, you know, get the word out and do this because we love doing this. We love performing together.
4: Well, I was, I was treated to an advanced copy of your album and um, it it is a great album. I'm not just saying that, but it's really fun. The melodies are great. The harmonies are great. Charlix, I was just having so much fun listening to it and, It's obviously tarot cards and shooting stars. Um, But before we just talk just about that, I also wanted to mention you have a documentary coming out, uh, Palomania, and I just wanted you to tell people what that is because I think it's such a cool concept and um, uh, I personally can't wait to, you know, see it. So tell us what it's about. Me too. I can't wait to see it.
0: (laughs) Uh, It's still, it's it's in uh, the editorial stage of its existence and it's called Palomania. It's the story of Palomino Club of North Hollywood that existed from 1949 to 1995. My partner, Adrian Isom from the band No Kona and I put the whole idea together. Uh, You can go to mulekickproductions.com if you want to find out more about that. But um, it's the history of the venue, but it's also um, the untold story of California country music and the influence of the West Coast on country and roots and Americana and everything that we love, and you know, people are gonna be able to look back and go, wow, those are my roots? I didn't even know that. So it's gonna be a really exciting thing.
4: Yeah, I think it's a very cool story to tell. And um, what's interesting is, is that connection like you're, you're describing, and you guys then moved from LA to Nashville, um, which kinda almost demonstrates that connection in Americana and country between those two areas. Most people don't realize that California had this thriving country Americana scene and a little bit different flavor of that music um, than you had, say, even in Texas or the midsection of the country and then the the eastern part of the U.S. Yep.
0: Yeah, they were the real rebels. You know, they, there was um, Leo Fender. There were there was Capitol Records uh, making just different kind of country music. There were all the honky tonks, um, you know, the nudie suits. Started on Lancashire Boulevard, right across down the way from the Palomino Club. So all of that stuff—the style, the look, and the the sound of country music—a lot of the things that we think of as uh, being from here in Nashville really originated in California, and and got to got to you know try themselves out there and really you know grow and develop in California.
4: Well, I'm really looking forward to that. And, and during the uh, pandemic, you were obviously writing tarot cards and shooting stars. And, uh, when did you record it? And, you know, when was it all kind of ready? And where did you record it?
2: Well, we, um, we started putting, well, actually, no, what happened was we, so even though we moved out here for the pandemic, we still kept the place in LA. So we, But, you know, everything was kind of shut down, but we'd have to go back there um, every other month or every two months. So we went back there and the place where we recorded uh, the first record or some of the songs on the first record, we were hanging out there and we're like, well, let's let's go ahead and record something while we have, you know, there's nothing going on. So we got out our phones. That That was when was it like May?
0: Yeah, it was May of this year. of of last year. Oh, of last year. We started May of last year. Yeah,
2: that's true. And, uh, and so we called up our drummer from the first record and the bass player and we laid what's called basic tracks. And then at the same time, uh, when we first moved out here, our house is kind of small and we don't really have um, any place to record music. So I built a little bit of a studio in the backyard and we were just finishing that, so I said, "Let's just do the guitar stuff back here in Nashville." So we took those tracks, did the guitar stuff here, and sent the tracks back to LA, and put them in with the, the uh, mix. And then I, I and then we came back to LA. Back to
0: LA in like August and finished vocals and layered stuff. Yeah, I kind of did
2: the finishing touches. Yeah. And then, um, and that was pretty much it, you know? Um, and it's
0: funny because we didn't even, when we were there in May, when we were first recording with our friend, Steve, who has been our production partner on a lot of things, um, he was like, why don't we make a record? Or what What do you have? What can we record? And I I said, well, I got a few songs. And I pick up my, my phone and I start going through and like listening to all my voice memos and stuff. And I went, oh, that one's pretty good. Oh, that one's pretty good. And by the time I got done, I said, wow, we've written a whole bunch of stuff. I have a whole phone full to prove it. So we just, that's how, we weren't even planning on it. It, We just, right then and there, we called our drummer and said, come. And he came down from, um, he was staying in the Bay Area. He came the next day, stayed for two days and recorded all the drums. And it was COVID. So, you know, we're trying to be careful. Then the next day, the bass player came. And, you know, it was one of those really easy, fun, no stress kind of
4: situations, a great recording vibe.
2: Yeah. Sometimes when you don't plan stuff, it goes a lot, <laughs> it goes smooth.
4: Yeah. So the name Tarot Cards and Shooting Stars sort of evokes for me your dreams and the future. But what, what was it that, you know, about that particular phrase that, um, that you came up with for this album? Well,
0: we had um, a song called "On the Way" on the record, which is I think it's song two, and that song is about all of the things that you um, that you plan to do, and you just you can't control so many th- so many aspects of what life hands you, and sometimes you find out that when you're on your way to where you think you're going and you end up somewhere else, you're really in the right place. And one of the lines in that song is tarot cards and shooting stars can't say whether you should try to break away or stay the course and drive another day. So um, we just thought that that was kind of the overall message of this entire record. It is a record about um, taking what you have and making the best of it and being grateful for what you have, and, and just how, ch- changing our perspective. Because you know, we all went through a lot for the last year and a half, two years now, so.
4: Would you say it's a hopeful album, as in it's positive? Dealing with some pretty tough subjects, obviously, we've all been dealing with, but would you say, by and large, it's more on the hopeful side?
0: I think absolutely it's on the hopeful side. I, I kind of can't help writing that way, when I'm feeling that. I know a lot of people gravitate toward writing when you feel really down. It's like, that's a good songwriting place for a lot of people, which I can relate to completely, but um, it's, it's, so, it's so nice to be able to see the beauty in something dark and tr- to see your way out of it and to appreciate what you went through. And may, that's me as a, as a human being, I think, just like being able to um, walk through the darkest valleys and forests and, you know, scary places and come out the other side and look back and go, I went through that and I'm okay. So,
4: yeah. I think music has such a big role in pulling society out of these types of crises because, um, we all know the soundtrack to our life, and so this is another part of that life. But I feel like all the musicians and artists I talk to that have written albums over the last two years, that, that um, you're almost the documentarians and poets of this period that we've been going through. And so I felt a little bit of that when I was listening to your album.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah, we... Um... Johnny and I discovered the, um, the Steve Pult's, um Quarantine Blues over over the quarantine. Did you hear that one?
4: Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, I love Steve. Okay, I'm just going to put it out there. He's so great. He makes me laugh all the time. Yeah. He's yeah. great.
0: But, I mean, to your point of, you know, um, artists, you know, documenting the history of what we just went through in, in such a funny deep passionate and succinct way i i agree with you like you could just take all the music that was released over the last year and a half and you could you could get an idea you could you know time capsule that yeah for future generations and they would know
2: exactly what we all went through future pandemics <laughs> hopefully
4: not again <laughs> just throwing it out there that i could just not do this again but um so you know you have all these amazing Uh, original songs and you chose one cover and it was a lot of love uh, that was originally a Nicolette Larson song, right? And why that particular song?
0: Well, it was originally Neil Young and then- Oh, Neil
4: Young, Young. okay.
0: She, well, we had read the Ted Templeman um, book. We read a lot of He's a producer. Yeah, he's a a producer, an old school producer. He's like 80 something years old now. Right. And um, he tells, he recorded a lot of that You know California roots rock and roll stuff that happened in the 70s and he had the story about Neil and Nicolette and he was telling a lot of great backstories about that and you know while we're reading it we're like wow that is a really great song you know it's just like it's kind of a song that doesn't really go anywhere I don't like what's the chorus I don't even even know right so we were just talking about it we both love Neil Young and I, I come from that whole, like my mom was a Laurel Canyon, you know, music enthusiast. And that's what I grew up on listening to. So all that stuff was just real meaningful to me. Anytime I get an excuse to record one of those artists songs, then I'll take it. But um, Johnny and I, I'm doing all the talking. Art, that's so all right. How about you chime in, honey?
2: No, it, we, we <laughs> it was weird. It's one of those things where we read the book and the backstory of how yeah. the song was recorded. And then, like everywhere we went, we started hearing the song through, you know, whatever yeah. the music <laughs> systems and stuff
0: in the grocery you know, store and <laughs> stuff.
2: So, I think it was like it was a higher power calling. It was record a song, you know?
0: Yeah. And we were in the studio that day that we told you about when we we're going through the phone and we found nine really good ones. And then we're like, oh, we could really round this off with 10. We should just do 10. So, I said, well, why don't we just like hurry up and learn this real quick? And we did.
2: Yeah.
4: <laughs> so that's well, you awesome. do a great version of it. And did Neil Young actually record it as well? And then she recorded it after him? Or how did that work? No, well, I don't Who know. It
2: first? I, I don't. I, I think
4: it was
0: Neil first, though. But hers was the hit.
2: Yeah, hers was definitely a hit because everybody knows her. And version. we had this yeah. whole
0: conversation about the production of it because hers has horns and stuff, which I'm not a super huge fan of
2: those. Saxophone. S- yeah,
0: the saxophone in, on that um, recording. But the Neil Young version is so raw and just so Neil Young, you know. And we, I felt like we did something in between, like a real production version, but without horns, you know. I, I wanted to honor the Nicolette Larson thing that she did, but you know, it, it's also fun because we got to put all those harmonies and everything on it, and and Johnny just came up with lines that didn't exist on the on the original um, recording just kind of his own little guitar melodies and licks and stuff that I thought just, I love what he did on that song.
4: Yeah, well the whole album is really great and I have one last sort of question for you before we kind of um, have to have to go, but Mule Kick Records, so you have your own label and what, uh, what is involve- your, your involve- involvement with other artists and what does that do for you and how do you pick your artists for the label?
0: Um, the label started off because it was um, an element of the film it, the product it was a production company for the film and because the film has um, a soundtrack we needed a home and a back end for the soundtrack um, if that makes any sense and then nocona being the first um, record that we put out Nokona is my partner adrian's band and it was during the pandemic and i just said let's put this great record out. And we put the whole machine of, you know, the little machine that we have, it's, it's, it's me and it's other people that we have that we hire on and that we trust a lot um, to do this push for this record. And after we put her record out, we're like, well, why don't we just, why aren't we doing this? We love doing it. And it's kind of a co-op in a way because um, there isn't like a big financial um thing that we have a big, you know, pot to dig through to get a bunch of money. But we do have a lot of sweat equity and we have a lot of talented people. So we just kind of brought on bands that made sense for us to bring on that we had some other relationship with in a way like Alice Wallace's new band Side Pony with Caitlin Cannon. was a perfect match Um, and we had a lot of fun. Adrienne did all the artwork. She's she's the art genius behind our our everything. And um, Andrew Leahy, who we absolutely love. We put out his volume one, American Static volume one, and we're getting ready to do volume two. Um, He's just a Nashville gem. And we've loved him ever since we met him. And it just, that just seemed like a no brainer. Rosie Flores, we put um, a couple of singles out. We're going to do some more music with her. And Rosie is um, in our film. So There's that. But we also made a record for a band called Desert Hollow, which is Xander Hitzig and Nicole Olney. And Xander is in also the band Nokona and plays with a lot of us. So that made sense. And the essence of it all is this musical like gamut between this side of Americana and this side. It's the full spectrum of what you would call Americana. Um, being like psychobilly kind of you know cosmic uh, rock and roll all the way through to folk music um, we're gonna put out a record for susie brown this year too um, who's a real just i don't know her voice reminds me of like a carol king meets like the wild colonials or something um songwriter here in nashville and yeah i don't know if that made sense but
4: <laughs> you know it does, and it sort of comes full circle, and, and back to Johnny's comment about guitar styles. How really, you just want to play a lot of different styles. You're a guitar player. You don't sure. want to be lumped into one thing. And so, working with all these different artists and being able to uh, work with different subgenres of Americana, roots kind of music, and realizing how broad this is, I'm sure it brings a lot of joy and creativity to both of you. And of course. Um, You're talented, and I'm sure it's helping these artists quite a bit, too. And it sounds like there's a a collaboration and collective there that works for everybody. Um, But tarot cards and shooting stars. I love it, and I hope everyone goes out and gets a copy of it. When does it come out?
0: It'll be out available everywhere on February
4: 25th. February 25th. Okay, awesome. So we'll we'll be sure to make sure on that day we do a little social post and get everyone out. Getting... Getting the, uh, getting the album. And we really appreciate you uh, stopping by Diddy TV and um, wearing the lid. I mean, you're representing over there, Johnny. I love it. And um, we can't oh. wait to see you next time you're in Memphis, which I think is relatively soon. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we're looking forward to going back there. We love it, Derek.
4: Awesome. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Have a great rest of your week. All right. You too.
3: That's a wrap for this edition of Insights. Thanks so much for tuning in and for supporting the hardworking artists that we work with here at Diddy TV, like the Hawthorns. Their brand new album, Tarot Cards and Shooting Stars, is available this week via their own Mule Kick Records. So head over to their website or socials to secure your copy today. We asked about the name of the album, and they said it appealed to them for a title, particularly because there has been so much in the last couple of years that can't be controlled, and we could all use a little peek into the unknown. One thing we do know They've put together one hell of an album. From all of us at Diddy TV, thanks again for tuning in today, and we hope to see you again soon, right here on Insights.
1: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football